0: Uh, this morning, we are finishing up a thought. Paul's got a lot of thoughts in Romans, if you haven't noticed over the past three years that we've been in Romans. Paul's got a lot of thoughts in Romans, and we are finishing one bracketed thought up this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Romans chapter 15. That's right, you heard it, 15. We are into a new chapter this morning, talking about something um, really what we have been focusing on the last few weeks here at Bethel. If this is your first Sunday or uh, one of your first Sundays here at Bethel, we've been obviously walking through the book of Romans. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Romans 14, which talks all about these uh, brothers and sisters, specific brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, what we should do when we have differences of opinion. With our brothers and sisters. And, and this is a very significant instruction for us in this day and age and the times that we're living in right now. And uh, just as a recap, remember that these differences aren't the major tenets of Christianity, right? Uh, the divinity of Christ, the life of Jesus, the Trinity, all of these different things all create uh, fences in which we can all run around in, and if you're in the fence, you are still Christian. If you're outside of the, uh, of the fences, you are no longer Christian, but within these fences, there are a lot uh, of different opinions. There's a lot of area to move and to roam, but these primary issues aren't the ones in focus for Paul here. What we've seen is that he's been talking about stuff like uh, dietary law, right? That's what Romans 14 was talking about, uh, differences in what we eat. Differences of opinion in these personal preferences or these minor things. And within the church, Paul is describing two different camps of people that we must remember in order to understand the verses we're looking at this morning. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know these people, the weak brother and the strong brother. Weak brother and the strong brother. Both of these people are committed to Jesus both are, are followers of Jesus, both are committed Christians, both agree on the big things, but perhaps we disagree on what we would call, what Paul would call, matters of conscience. These smaller uh, opinions that uh, really, at the end of the day, they, are, they have some matter, they have some weight, they have some importance, but they are not the major tenets of Christianity. In the context of Romans, the weak brothers are those who still felt obligated to follow certain dietary laws. They still felt obligated to eat in a certain way. And the stronger brothers are those who felt free to pursue Christian liberties. Both following Christ. Both are an important part of the same body. But how are we supposed to maintain unity? How are we supposed to maintain unity when there is disagreement? What are we called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ when I look across the aisle and I know that that person has a different opinion about X, Y, and Z than me? How do we maintain unity? How do we pursue unity with them? What we're going to find here is in the first three verses of chapter 15, Paul places some unexpected obligations on certain members of the church, which might have come as a surprise when I think this letter was read to the Roman church. I don't know if you are a fan of surprises. I know some are, some aren't. I had this friend in college who uh, we threw her a surprise birthday party. Nobody knew that surprises were her least favorite thing in the world. And so lights came on and we threw her a surprise and she just started sobbing at the door. And we all stood there awkwardly watching her. And she's like, no, really, I'm super excited, I'm very happy, and sobbing. through." Some people are fans fan of surprises, others aren't. I think one of the worst uh, surprises that I've ever heard in my entire life was uh, from an engaged couple. They had both graduated from a private university. Both of them were uh, committed Christians. They were, they were awesome people, they were followers of Jesus. Everything was going really well, but um, one of them had some significant financial loans, student loans, over $40,000 of, of student debt. And she didn't want to tell her fiance about the debt, and which I do not uh, recommend. Engage people out there. Tell, tell them about your debt. Uh, and so, you know, they were they were engaged and they went through and, and the wedding day came and they got hitched and everything was great. That was fantastic. Well, a month later, the bills started coming and um, she thought that if she could be the first one to get to the mailbox, like everything would be fine. Like, if I could just get to the mailbox first, like I can handle my student loans, it'd be, it'd be great. Well, she got to the mailbox first and she started going through the mail, and what she found was um, a, a letter addressed to her now husband. And she opened up the letter, and turns out that he also had $40,000 plus of student debt. Surprise, you have debt, right? I don't know if there are any scarier words in the English language than surprise debt. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but these two were. And actually, this is what we have here in the first three verses of Romans chapter 15. Some of us, surprise, you have debt this morning. What is this debt? Who am I paying? Why do I need to pay it? That's what we're going to find here this morning. We're going to read uh, Romans 15, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to ask you to stand as uh, we read these three verses in honor of God's word. Would you follow along with me as I read Romans 15, verses 1 to 3? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Amen and amen. You may be seated as we dig into this passage this morning. What does this mean? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for the church? And how do we pursue unity in the midst of disagreements? We're going to go through... uh, Some financial obligations this morning, we have four different things that we're going to look at, and the first is, uh, I think you would want to know, right, do I have a debt to pay? Is there outstanding payments on my part that I need to pay someone? The first thing that we're going to find this morning is that, yes, there are people sitting in the pews that are in debt. Who are these debtors? We find it in verse 1, the debtors, we who are strong, we who are strong. We see it in verse 15, or verse 1 of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation. Paul immediately lays it out in the first verse. We who are strong have an obligation. The word obligation here is used throughout the New Testament in a bunch of different contexts, but mostly in financial and moral contexts. In Matthew, we have the parable of the unforgiving servant, you know, the one who had a debt and it was forgiven him, and then he went to somebody else and did not forgive the debt, but made him pay it. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. This is what Jesus says about his obligation. Jesus said in Matthew, uh, And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. Obligation. Same word here, same word. Debt obligation. Simply that there is something owed to somebody else. There's something owed to somebody else. Someone owes something and that someone is the strong to which Paul himself belongs. Surprise, strong, in faith you have debt this morning. And I think this idea that the strong are in debt is so interesting and so contrary to not only uh, today's culture but also to the ancient Roman culture. The, obviously the idea of debt has a negative connotation and I think No matter what anybody says, it's never really good to have debt, to owe somebody something else. Generally, it's not a coveted thing to be deeply, deeply in debt. Uh, In ancient culture, in today's culture, we are hardly ever in debt to those who are weaker than us. When you're in debt, you are in debt to somebody who has more money than you, has more influence than you, has more power than you. Usually it's some massive financial institution conglomerate that you write a check to every month whatever the case is we are not often in debt to people who are weaker than us that just that just doesn't happen that's not how the way of the world works but what we find here is that this is how the kingdom of God works that this is how the church works Jesus defines position in the kingdom of God in Matthew 20, 16, saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The church is contrary to this world and in this upside down kingdom of God, not only are the first last and the last first, but the strong are in debt to the weak. First thing we find here is that we have some debtors sitting here in this church and it is we who are strong. I think the next question that you might want to know, that we might want to know is, all right, I'm in debt. That's fine. What is this debt? What is this debt? And Paul goes on in uh, the end of verse 1 and into verse 2, and we find that the debt is to bear with and to build up. Romans 15, 1 to 2. The strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So here is the debt that we have, strong people. I think that these two verses are saying uh, the same thing from maybe just a little bit of a different angle. We have verse 2 restating what the end of verse 1 has already said. And here's a debt we have to bear with and we have to build up the weaker brother. And you sitting there as the stronger brother, you might be thinking, well, that's not so bad. I bear with people all the time. You should see the Facebook posts that come up in my feed, and I don't reply to them. You should see the people every single day that I put up with. And I think if this is the way that you are reading uh, this verse, you're missing the point. Because stronger brother, it's not the idea that we would put up with other people. In the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ, as we pursue unity, we are not putting up with one another, rather we are coming alongside and we are carrying. It's not that I'm putting up with my weaker brother, I am carrying. I'm coming alongside the failings of the weak and I am building him up. As one who is more mature, stronger brother, it's your responsibility to love and be united with brothers and sisters, even if you disagree on certain topics. And are there certain topics, strong opinions circulating in the church today? Yes. Yes, there are. Absolutely, there are. No doubt about that. There are strong opinions circulating in church today, but the mature and the strong believer will have flexibility on those issues that are of lesser importance, and the immature believer will not often function in this way. But rather, they will make mountains out of theological molehills. We have these lesser important matters. Not that they are not are uh, um, It's not that they aren't important at all, but when it comes to the tenets of the Christian faith, they are way way down the priority list. As a stronger believer, we are called to come alongside and bear with our weaker brother. And and just to clarify, lest we get uh, too full of ourselves, we are all at one point weaker brothers. Nobody is born to Christ, into Christ, completely mature. We are all a work in progress, and even after years and years and years, we are in different aspects of our life. We can be the weaker brother. You might be mature in certain aspects, and you might be immature in others. Everybody has different conscience, a different conscience that comes with our upbringing. That's the way that we were raised. Each of us have our own things, and in some ways, we are all the weaker brother. We all have our quirks, so to say. So what we find here is that the strong in Christ, they have a debt to pay, and that debt is to bear with and to build up. The third thing that we're going to see here, there are debtors, there's a debt to pay, and when there is a debt to pay, there is always somebody collecting the bill, right? You know exactly who you are paying your bills to each and every month. And so if I were you, I would want to know if I was sitting in the pew, who I had dealt with, who am I paying this bill to? Who are my collectors? Verses 1 and 2, if you've been following along, you probably already know this, that the collectors are the weak and the neighbor. The weak and the neighbor. The neighbor. I'm going to reread 15 verses 1 and 2 here. It says, To bear with the obligation of the strong, to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, and to build him up. I think it's interesting here that Paul restates uh, the weaker brother as your neighbor, right? It's not just the person that's across the aisle from you that has a difference of opinion, but Paul uh, 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 doubles down on the relationship that you have with the person that is sitting behind you, that's sitting in front of you. He is not just that person who believes different than me, he is my neighbor. He is more than my neighbor as well. He's a brother and he's a sister in Christ and we are called to come alongside and bear with what each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. I think right now you might be wondering well, why am I paying this debt? Why is this a debt that I even want to pay? If I disagree with somebody, why don't I just get up and and leave a church to go find someplace else that uh, believes exactly how I believe? And this is, I think, a fair question, and maybe it can be answered, why do we pay our our mortgage? Why do we pay our car payments, right? You pay your mortgage so that your house doesn't get foreclosed on, and you pay your car payments so that your car doesn't get repossessed. There is a value and there is an end goal in paying our debt to the weaker brother. There are consequences for not paying our debts, right? There are consequences for not paying our debts in the same way, stronger brothers There are consequences for not bearing with and building up the weaker brother that is sitting across from you. The consequence of it is disunity. We're going to find this as we continue into Romans chapter 15. This is what Paul has been writing towards Jews and Gentiles in the church of Rome who are disunified. Paul calls them to be unified for the sake of the expansion of the kingdom in Rome. And this is the consequence of not paying our debt to the weaker brother, we are disunified. When the stronger brother does not build up, but rather tears down, when the stronger brother thinks of self rather than others, when the stronger brother puts up with rather than bears with the weaker brother, then disunity and discord are sown in the body of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that the whole church is held hostage to the weaker brother, right? That's, that's not a healthy expression of the body of Christ either, but it does mean that we have consideration for them. In your life, do you have consideration with a brother or sister in Christ who has a different opinion than you? And as he's urged previously, we're not called as stronger brothers to flaunt our freedoms and we don't pressure the weaker to do something that their conscience would deny. Instead, we are called to lovingly die to self interest and to seek the welfare of others. And this is Paul's encouragement to another church, the church in Philippi. Philippians 2 3 5 says this Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You should have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We don't look down on the weaker brother, but instead we seek to build them up, we seek to encourage them, and we seek to see them as we are ourselves, a work in progress. I think this idea of being a work in progress uh, comes starkly to mind when we look at kids, when we look at children. Children. Uh, My wife is a kindergarten teacher at Yost Elementary up in Chesterton, and I I see this all the time, this idea that uh, children are a work in progress. She has the best stories that she comes home with, and uh, this week she came home with a story that I think really highlights the idea of the kind of attitude that we should have towards our weaker brother. Bethany was uh, sitting in, in class, obviously, on Thursday, I think, afternoon. It was almost the end of the day. And if you're a kindergarten teacher, there's no better time than the end of the day. And it's a little, uh, how I understand it, it's a little bit of, of chaos. You know, you're trying to get all of these kids to their backpacks with all of the stuff that they need to take home, and then you've got to get them back into their seat and have them sit down and not touch everybody else, and then you've got to get them to the bus, and it's just like this whole process. And it takes a really long time. Well, in the middle of all of this chaos, uh, Bethany was up at the front of the class, and all of a sudden, she hears one of her... Uh, one of her kids screaming, like in the middle of the classroom. And Bethany turns around and makes eye contact with a student, and the student looks at Mrs. Irwin and says, Mrs. Irwin, I'm peeing! (laughs) And in a panic, Bethany runs over to her and she says, Stop peeing! (laughs) And the the little girl goes, I can't! pouring off of the seat. I can't, Mrs. Irwin, I can't. And so they stared at each other while entire bladder emptied onto the (laughs) seat, onto her shoes. And I think at this moment, Bethany could have responded in a number of different ways. You should not have peed yourself you should have raised your hand and asked to go to the bathroom. Why didn't you go to the bathroom when we had a chance in this afternoon? This is not how a kindergartner acts. And she could have stood there and, and all true things, right? All true things. But as a kindergartner te- kindergarten teacher, you have to realize what you're working with. You're working with five-year-olds. You are working with five-year-olds here. And so instead of looking down and, and berating this kindergartner, instead, my uh, my wife said, all right, well, let's get some paper towel, and you need to go to the bathroom, and you need to clean yourself up, and, and after that, you can go up to the nurse, and you can change your pants, and then we'll go home. Does that sound good? And she says, yeah, okay, we can do that. And uh, at, at the end of the day, this is actually a very mature student, and Bethany said that she looked at her, and she started talking to her. She said, Kira, what happened? She says, I don't know, Mrs. Irwin, I, I never have accidents like that. And it was all in my shoes. It was really, not, I don't think I'm going to do that again. <laughs> so, well, that's good. And, and I, think, I think that this is the this, same attitude that we ought to have. With people that have differences of opinion that might be a little less mature, spiritually mature than us, we don't come at our brothers and sisters in Christ berating them for what they probably already know. We don't come at our brothers and sisters in Christ Forcing truth on them. Instead, we seek to bear with, to come alongside in sympathy and empathy, and we seek to build up. It is not in the church's best interest for members to be at each other's throats for minor things. Instead, it's the church's best interest to unify under the gospel of Jesus Christ to pursue the expansion of the kingdom of God for his glory. These are the people we are paying stronger brothers. We are paying our weaker brothers. And if this is a debt that you didn't know you had, or you might think that it's too heavy to pay, we're going to see in verse 3, where we find uh, that we have somebody who has already given us the means to settle this debt With one another. Verse 3 says this For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The payment that we can uh, go to, we can take this payment and we can settle our debts with one another, is the humility of Christ. This quote is uh, from Psalm 69. This quote that we have here the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, it's from Psalm 69, and Paul sees it as a prophecy, as describing the kind of ministry that Jesus would have. And this word reproach, elsewhere in the Old Testament, elsewhere in the New Testament, it's used as insults. It's often translated as insults, and Jesus certainly received insults throughout his life, and definitely as he hung there on the cross, he was Mocked by religious leaders and even the two thieves reproached him for a while. But if you look carefully at this verse, you'll see that these are misappropriated insults. These insults are directed at somebody, but they are redirected in the middle of their path. Misappropriated insults, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is Jesus here. And this you that Jesus is talking about is the Trinity. We have reproached God, specifically God the Father. Our sins are against him. We have insulted God by our pride and by our selfishness. And yet our insults of God fell on Jesus. And this is substitutionary atonement. This is what we believe. This is what Jesus came to do. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. When Jesus bore our sin, was he uh, making personal pleasure his first priority? No, ap- absolutely not. If, if Jesus, in this verse that we see, uh, did not please himself, if Jesus was pleasing himself, he would have never left heaven in the first place. But Jesus' incarnation, the fact that he left heaven and came to earth for us, is a divine expression of Jesus putting our needs before his own. And you get the point here, right? If there was ever a strong in faith person, it was Jesus Christ. And if there was ever abject weakness, it was you and it was me. In spite of this, Jesus' orientation was to prioritize God's glory over his own needs. And Paul is saying here, you know, "Hey, hey strong and conscious types strong conscience types, if you are actually mature, you will do with these non-essential things what Jesus did with the reproaches and insults that were put on him. You will orient your attitude and actions towards what is best for others. This is the attitude we're called to have in Christ Jesus. And why is this important? Why is this a debt that we should pay? We should Why are we pursuing the weaker brother? Why are we bending our needs and our attitudes towards them? We pursue the weaker brother for the sake of unity, that the glory of God might be on display through Jesus Christ in us to the world. What an incredible testimony the church can be when the world sees differences of opinion held in balance. I would love for our community to look at this church and and say, wait, you, you guys... You, you all have differences of opinion in pandemic policies? Well, yes, yes we do. But you, you still get along? You still hang out? Well, yes, absolutely. You, you all have differences of opinion and you disagree on the best way to school your children? Well, yes we do. But you still get along? Yes, very well. How? How, church, how can you do this? How can you hold differences of opinion and still get along with one another? in our country where these things create such discord and divisions in families and neighborhoods and communities and states, how are we united? For Christ did not please himself. Our reproaches against God fell on him. And when you really look at the cross of Jesus Christ, there is a deep, deep well of love which creates the capacity to love those who are different from you. And to do so for the sake of Jesus's glory in the expansion of the kingdom. Unity requires sacrifice. It requires speaking truth in love, but it is so worth it so that nothing stands in the way of God's glory in the region. The strong here are indebted to bear with and to build up the weak, not to please ourselves, but rather to please our neighbors, which is possible because of Christ's example for us for the purpose of unity.